Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. Hey, before we bring on Roger, which is going to, I mean, is a fascinating story about what he's doing in the music industry. And, I, and I've watched some of the videos, man. And, and this stuff is killer in how he's teaching corporate America how to be leaders through music. It's absolutely brilliant. You know, this show, I get the privilege each week to come in here and talk about Point Blank Safety Services and the amazing things they do. I love the fact that a company that's so dedicated to our police officers, so dedicated to protecting us, our freeways, our office buildings, you know, anywhere that there needs to be security, these guys are doing it the best. I mean, they're literally putting armed police officers on all of these job sites, construction areas, freeway projects, all throughout the state of Texas. And they're amazing. I mean, what better person to have secure your site, your materials, your goods than a police officer? They've recently uh, introduced active shooter training as well, which is, you know, uh, unfortunately something that really needs to be, you know, a lot of companies need to be investing in um, as they, you know, continue to move forward and protect their employees. You know, this this show, I, I really couldn't do it without them and their support. And, you know, because of their love and passion for police officers and their families, you know, they started a nonprofit called Blue Family Fund. And it's a beautiful organization that provides scholarships for fallen police officers' families and, you know, help and support for, for fallen officers and their families in general. An amazing organization with a lot of amazing stuff and events coming up. Please go to Point Blank Safety Services to learn more about that. And then go check out Blue Family Fund. And it's bluefamilyfund.org. Um, and check out their upcoming events that they have to raise more money and awareness for police officers and their family. Now, guys, have some fun with this with this episode. It's Roger Nirenberg, man. And this guy, I was probably more blown away with what he's doing than, than a lot of things that I've heard because this is a style of leadership training I've never seen. So enjoy this one, guys. You want to quit right now, don't you? I see it in your eyes. You want to give up right now. The fruits of your labor are just turning right right now. That's why you planted all those seeds so you can take a bite right now. The unbelievable is now believable. You're reaching new heights right now. All right, guys, this is going to be another fun episode. I'm looking forward to this one. I'm bringing on Roger Nirenberg, and he's got a really, really fascinating story. And I love what he's doing in the music industry. And it's just some really, really wild stuff. So I'm really looking forward to this whole fun conversation. I'm Donnie Bovine. This is Donnie Success Champions. Roger, welcome to the show, my friend. Please tell us your story. Hi, Donnie. How are you, brother? Uh, so, so, Roger, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What the heck do you do? And how the heck did you get here? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, uh, I'm a musician. Uh, most of my life, I was a symphony conductor. That was the career that I pursued. You know, 25 years ago, I was music director of two orchestras, and I had guest conduct engagements around the country and sometimes around the world as well. Uh, and I began to think about um, the skills that I had and the experiences that I had, and especially the, the, this strange relationship of conductor to orchestra. And I began to realize that there was a lot of wisdom uh, inside that relationship that I could share with other people. And actually, the way it happened was, as music director of, of orchestras, I was, I was asked to appear at uh, breakfast meetings for business people, the Rotary Club, and, and other clubs like it. And I found that when I talked about music, they listened to me politely. When I talked about the orchestra as a kind of community institution, they were a little bit more interested. But when I talked about my job, that interest was not just casual. They were really interested in what I did. 
and trying to imagine it and, of course, putting themselves in that position. And I began to realize that that was a channel through which I could deliver music to them. And that through that interest they had in the job, I could get them interested in music. And I began to wonder, could I get just about anybody to feel the same things that I was feeling with great symphonic music? And eventually, through a lot of, a lot of happenstance incidents, I put together this kind of learning experience. And when I did it, when I finally did it, it was so successful. It was amazingly successful. And then business organizations began to ask me to do it at their business meetings, not because they were interested in music, but because there was so, so much business value in it. And they could see themselves more clearly than they had before and find new, a sense of empowerment, uh, new paths to success in what they were doing. Um, and so it became a kind of a second career for me. And now I routinely appear in front of business organizations all around the world, always with the local orchestra and always with the participants seated inside of that orchestra right next to the musicians. And I take them all on a kind of a tour of the orchestra, showing them fascinating things that they wouldn't have ever really thought about before. But because I'm briefed about my client organization and what the meeting is about, what the goal is, what they're trying to achieve, I invent these spontaneous role-playing exercises for the musicians, asking them to try on this or that behavior, because those behaviors are really important in the client organization. And then what it becomes is by listening to the orchestra and watching the musicians, it's like holding up a mirror to themselves and they, what they're, they're seeing through that sort of metaphorical mirror is a, an image of what they could be and also an image of what they don't want to be. So it's full of insights for them. And in this metaphorical world, they find it much easier to connect the dots about their professional lives than they do in real life. Oh, so I that's the music paradigm. I love this. I love this. Okay, so so a couple of things that I know. I know you went through Juilliard, and for us non-musical people, that's like a really big deal, right? So so kudos for 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 that from the outside looking in. But you've spent a career leading symphonies. So so from a non-music guy, that's the guy out front. You know, with you know guiding the music, holding the baton. Right, 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 right. So. Um, and I know you've performed with some of the biggest symphonies in the world um, and have had some great success from that. You know, that's it's an amazing journey. And, and along that ride, stumbling into this whole second career for yourself um, is just a fun happenstance. And I love when business comes around out of, out of the blue. So walk me through it. You're literally standing in front of a rotary and other clubs putting them to sleep with whatever you're talking about. Yeah, I tried, I tried not to put them to sleep. I, I was really engaging. But when I could tell them when I was talking about stuff that they really couldn't relate to and they didn't feel comfortable. I mean, if you mentioned a composer, great composer's name like Shostakovich, let's say, that means a lot to me. But I could see them kind of turning off because they, they couldn't really relate to it. But when I talked about what a conductor does, they were all really interested in that because conductors have a kind of power that every executive kind of envies. I mean, everybody's there and carries out your wishes. Oh, that's so interesting because that's true. Because, because you know, forgive me in my ignorance a little bit, but you know, I like go to my niece's high school band recital, and the kids will be milling around. But as soon as that conductor, the teacher, steps up to that podium, they all snap to, right? Yeah. They're all in position, and they're all waiting for his command to move forward. I can see as a CEO of a company how that could be a very powerful position to have to watch somebody else have that much control of a room. 
Right. And I, I think they're thinking like, you know, how do conductors do it? Yeah. yeah. What's their magic? You know, they tell everybody what to do. They tell everybody how fast to play it. They tell everybody what style. They tell everybody how loud, how soft, and everybody does it. And so they want to know, well, how does that work? How do you, how do you, how do you get that power? How do you wield that power? I think that's the interest. But it's, it's very complex, that process, and it's much closer to what executives of all kind do. Because if you're an executive, what you want to do is align your forces around a strategy and get them to execute together so that the, the sum of everybody's execution is the whole is greater than the sum of, of all everybody's doing it because it's all aligned, it's all working together. And that's the way great things are achieved. Well, and I love this whole concept of wielding it. It's like you're wielding that power. It's it's you are literally moving the pulse or the heartbeat of a company by conducting them into the direction of the things you want to go. Right. This is brilliant. But when, but when you work with a great orchestra, you know, they don't necessarily do what you tell them. Because the things that you would need to tell a school orchestra about how to execute, they're already capable of doing that. Mm, true. So unless they get some kind of real leadership, which is a vision of a, a success picture that is so inspiring to them that they're, they're willing to go along with it, they just won't, they won't follow you. Very they true. do what you tell them. And so this, the reality of what conducting is, there's a lot that every kind of leader could learn. And I've been thinking about it a lot for the past 20 years and how to, how to uh, package those lessons, deliver those lessons in such a way that whether it's people who are working in the aerospace industry or the military or whether it's in healthcare, or no matter what the field is, education or um, uh, building uh, medical instruments, or even uh, referees on the Big Ten football conference. All these people have, have sat in on these sessions, and I tailor it to find out what are their leadership challenges. I mean, for example, we just had the Super Bowl. Right. Actually, the, the man who was the head referee for that Super Bowl has come to one of my sessions and promoted it throughout the, the, you know, the football universe, and he's a big fan of it. And when you think about all those calls that had to be made, and you see the referees huddling, you know, to, to, and the communication that happens there, there's a lot at stake at getting those things right. Right. So the language of communication, and the, not only the language, but also the attitude of communication, making sure that people say what they really need to say, making sure that, you know, and they, they meet together beforehand. They, they work very well. And so it was fascinating for me to be doing this for football referees and officials um, and seeing the, what those people could learn from what a conductor has to do. Yeah, this is, this is I mean, I'm, I'm over here geeking out a little bit with you, Roger, because this, this is just a, a really brilliant way to teach leadership ability. And here's why I, I, I think so. A lot of times when you go to a leadership conference and you get a speaker up there, they usually give some sort of diatribe, you know, some sort of elongated speech. But you're actually taking it one step further and showing them with your orchestras how to actually conduct and move and get people to do what you need them to do through setting up these role plays and these scenarios. That's a nice one-two punch in there, bud, that, that gets people to not only hear you explain what needs to be done, but then turn around and see it in action. And to be able to take the rough and tumble guys like a bunch of NFL referees and get them to apply that to arguably the biggest game in the world you know, that's a pretty impressive feat, bud. Well, for, well, just to say with football for a moment, you know, the conductor, here's the orchestra. Well, part of your skill is to be able to, to know what's going on. But microscopically, if there's a little difference in the ensemble, it's not quite together. 
you have to discriminate um, like who's early or who's late, you know, and uh, who's too loud, who's too soft. And what you do in order to do it in your mind, you kind of slow it down so you can, you can, even though it's happening in real time in your mind, you're converting it to slow motion. And that's exactly what the referees do in on the football field when they have to make calls. And so there's a real, there's a real connection between the two. And what, what I learned from the referees that it's one thing to make the calls, but it's another thing to make them under huge pressure. Yeah. yeah. They know that the, the game is is hanging on what that call is, as we saw in some of the, you know, semifinal. Yeah. Well, and, and even, you know, the millions of fans that are watching and scrutinizing their every move and their everything that they do. Well, that's tremendous pressure. And the thing is, when you start raising these issues with the orchestra there and you can demonstrate and things like that, people get really interested because they're seeing themselves in what the orchestra and the conductor are doing. So you, they you're not really listening. Yeah, really. absolutely. Because I'm picturing, and correct me if I'm wrong, Roger, but I'm picturing that you're literally playing a piece of music, and then and then asking, and then pointing out when maybe the rhythm or the tempo's off, and showing the people what one minor adjustment will do to change the piece. Is is that is that right? Well, these, these demonstrations, they're custom-made for the particular organization, and they're subtle, but they're very dramatic. So I'll give you an example. Please. I had a client that was undergoing a huge transformation. It was a huge Fortune 50 company. Okay. And they decided that by a particular date, they were going to totally transform their business. It was very risky, and it meant that whole divisions had to be shut down, and lots of people had to learn new jobs. And they knew that there was going to be a lot of resistance to it. And they, they thought that the only way we'll succeed, and we have to do this, but is getting our leadership really on board and getting the leaders, the, you know, 550 top leaders in, the, in this, you know, organization of tens of thousands of, of employees, more than 100,000, uh, getting them on board and not and not just simply fixing things that they go wrong, but really being active in engaging people and getting them to buy in. So I did an exercise with the orchestra. Now, mind you, I have you know 150 of these executives sitting right inside the orchestra. <laughs> and I say to the orchestra, we're going to play this passage now. And every one of the teams in the orchestra, like the violins, have a leader. You know, the flutes have a leader. And all these, they're called the principal players. When we play it now, all the principal players are going to be completely committed to this performance. But the rank and file are going to do as little as possible without getting caught. <laughs> and I say it's a kind of, they're in a kind of coast until retirement mentality. <laughs> of course, everybody laughs because it's so ridiculous, especially the musicians, because they've never been asked to do that. Right, 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 right. So now they start doing it, and you can look out, and you can see some are really engaged in it, and others are just doing as little as possible. <laughs> but the net result is perfectly fine. And after I stop them after a minute or so, and I say, I can see the surprise looks on your faces, I bet you thought that was going to be really bad. But you all, I, you all thought, where's the dysfunction? I don't hear the dysfunction. But really, why should this surprise you? Because we all know that that's really in the world the way organizations work. And the, the people who are accountable are so good that they carry, they carry it for all the mediocrity that's in the organization. And you wouldn't even think it was a dysfunction until you heard the following. I say, what would it be like if every musician used everything you know and made this orchestra sound in a way that these people never imagined an orchestra could be. What would that be like? Well, that wakes up the musicians because now they really want to yeah, do now it. Just so up, right? Everybody is committed to it. And for the people sitting when they hear the second version, they can't believe the difference. And the power the behind notes, it. The notes are the same, but the experience is, is, is so alive and electrifying, and they feel it in their bodies, you know, so close to the sound, they, they not only hear it with their ears, but they feel those vibrations on their body. And they're really impressed. And then I point out that 
that if you're the type of leader who just fixes things when, when they go wrong, you'll never create that kind of engagement. Mm. It's only the leader who sees what the potential might be and then inspires people to that that will ever draw that kind of response. That's huge. That, that's an example of, of yeah, no. one role play. That's, that, I mean, that means powerful. I mean, if you've ever been to a symphony, you know the power that those musicians can have. And I'm going to be honest, I prefer going to a play versus sitting through a symphony. I, I enjoy the music behind it, but I also want actors on stage. I've just not been that much into the music side of thing. But either way, when that symphony plays, they can draw every emotion out of you that they need to pull out of you. And to see the power behind challenging the musicians to play to prove how awesome and powerful this piece is, they're playing their damn hearts out. And every one of those, those CEOs or leaders to feel that, not only see it, but to feel that is gotta be a powerful, you know, and, and impactful teaching tool. Yeah, and then they're thinking, they're all thinking, what would it be like if my people were like Right, that? right. And then they're thinking, what do I have to do? There's the question. All that kind of response. And so uh, it's not a, a situation where I'm telling them anything. I'm just creating the circumstances and showing them how that this is going on in the room, but they have to find it and they have to identify it because the things that you've discovered yourself, you take much greater ownership Absolutely. than the things that other people tell you about. Absolutely. So that's part of the reason that it's so powerful. That's, I mean, what do you think the impact of one of those those type of presentations? Do you believe that those executives went back to their world with the the thought process and impact of I've got to change and evolve how I lead, and then they actively applied it? Do you, do you well, there it's very very rich. There are lots and lots of lessons probably more than people take in, can take in. So a lot of people, they come away with a couple of takeaways. And a lot of them involve understanding and appreciating how great their own people are. Mm. Whereas it's very tempting when you are the leader to, to feel that all the things that aren't working are because of your people. Whereas you begin to see that what the orchestra can do when there's no conductor. Because one of the things I ask the orchestra to do is to play without conductor. Mm. And then they start themselves fine and they play. And then I ask them to change it and transform it in real time. And all these demonstrations are spontaneous. The musicians have no idea what I'm going to ask them to do. And after a while, the executives begin to be like, really awed by how real this, these demonstrations are. So you're literally flying into an area with an orchestra you don't know. That's right. And getting them to agree that you're going to stand up and use them as live puppets, for lack of a better word. Well, uh, I mean, an improv group. Improv group. I love that. We'll go with that. I love it. But you're getting them to improv live in front of some of the top executives in the world or maybe whoever's in the audience. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's got to be that moment of they know their skill set's really good, but they've even got to be dealing with a little bit of a nervous energy because this is something completely new to them. So you're That's getting right. this completely raw real results by asking them to do things that they don't normally do. Right. And that's very insightful because you've sort of put your finger on why this thing is so dramatic. Right. Because it has, it has much more drama than a normal business presentation because the musicians are on the line at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, man, I, this is brilliant. I mean, I, I, I've heard a lot of leadership things and I've seen a lot of different things. This one's brand new to me, brother. I, I got to tell you, um, it's, it's wild to, I don't usually get surprised by something, but this is, this is well done. Well done. I mean, 
I mean, I know you got this, you figured this out by standing on, on in front of rooms and in learning what they got into, but what made you transform that into, let me take them into the pit. Let me take them into where the symphony's playing. What, what was that, that, that spark that said, I can take this one step further instead of just telling them what my job is, showing them what my job is? Well, once upon a time, a long time ago, 30 years, maybe more than 30 years, I went into the office of a, a CEO with the hopes of enrolling him in my orchestra, maybe doing some fundraising, you know, asking him to serve on the board and stuff like that. And within the first five minutes, he said to me, you've got a really tough marketing problem with me, he said, because I consider myself a, an intelligent person. I consider myself well-educated. I'm energetic. I'm curious. And when I go into your concert hall, I don't understand anything. I don't know what the program means. I don't see these foreign language words. I'm not sure what it is. I don't even, I'm not even sure. I don't feel safe when to clap. He said, and I don't like the way that feels. And I don't have to go. And I don't want to. That's and, real. Yeah, and I thought, whoa, I got to get out of here. I, you know, I just, I didn't want to hear this. But I kind of challenged myself to, to really listen to that. And then I began to think, is there a way that I could actually get that guy interested? Because I thought if I could, what a great thing that would be for music. And so that was what started me thinking. And how can I create the circumstances where he would really be interested? Now, most music appreciation starts off with the piece of music and tries to build a bridge to the audiences. True. What I discovered is that I was going to do it the other way. I was going to start with where the audience was and what they cared about and what was real to them. Because in our world today, what does everybody care about? Themselves. They care about their careers. Yeah. That's what everybody's really interested. They want a good career. You know, they want a safe career. They want a prosperous career. They want uh, you know, to be fulfilled in it. You talk about that. Everybody's interested in that. And I found a way to deliver music to them and address those issues. And they were so interested in those issues that they actually started hearing the music in a different way. Mm. And then the music began to affect them as it never had in any concert because they had gotten inside of the music. Yeah, they, I love that. They were hearing, they, hearing the music with, with interest and engagement. Uh, so that's, that's how yeah. it... You know, I didn't even know where I was going. <laughs> I had no idea what this meant. I just sensed this is important, that there's something important about this, and I've got to explore this. Right. So that first time you did this, the first time you brought in a group of executives and you sat them in from the symphony, did you have this all worked out that you were going to randomly guide the orchestra to things, or was it more of a pop shot, let me see what I can do, and you were playing and testing to figure out what was this course going to be? Well, when you get in front of executives like that, you don't do pot shots. You know? <laughs> well, you know, the stakes are way too high. Right. And they're high mostly because the time of those executives is very valuable. I learned from doing this for 20 years that the most expensive thing about those meetings is the value that the company loses by taking all those executives offline and bringing them someplace. So there's a lot at stake and a lot of value, and every minute means a lot. So I really thought it carefully. But of course, having done it now for hundreds of companies and every single time customizing it, I've learned a lot about business, <laughs> and I've learned a lot about how to make these presentations very effective. I'm sure. I mean, repetition's the, one of the greatest teachers of all time. Because, well, we call it practicing. Uh, well, yeah. some people practice, some people screw up a lot until they figure it out. <laughs> you know, the, the French word for practicing is répétition. And so it means? It means repetition. repetition. <laughs> right. We're going to play this a thousand times until we finally get one note right. Um, uh, you know, uh, 
what was it like for you that experience? I mean, you you performed in front of massive crowds. You you've worked with some great symphonies, but now you were taking this to in a very intimate sitting, having executive sitting with your players. What was that that experience like when you realized that you were creating something completely new? And you were literally up close and personal with these people so they could see your nervous energy. They could see everything about it. What was that experience like? Well, it was thrilling for me because I saw what it could do for music. Because as a musician, you know, we classical musicians, we know that we're a small minority. Right. you know, it's a very musical country. A lot of people care a lot about music, but they don't care about the kind of music that we <laughs> they, they don't feel comfortable with that. They don't know that. And I think every musician on some level feels that and and is trying to connect with people but don't know how to. So the fact that I had created this successful way of really getting them engaged and you know, you look at some of the videos that I have and you look at the expressions on people's faces, those are artistic expressions. They're having an artistic experience. And that was what I was aiming for. I wasn't aiming to deliver business value. The business value was kind of like something that, I won't say it happened by accident, but it was a byproduct. But it was a very valuable byproduct because businesses, what I didn't really know is that businesses need this now because it's so difficult to enroll a workforce around a change program. Most of the time when management announces that things are going to change, the workforce is going to resist them because they've seen it before. and, And it's very hard to break through that resistance. But this way, it always it gets inside of them. Or as one, one executive from the Lockheed Martin Space and Missile Division told me, he said, we have these leadership things all the time. And all of us know, we, we know exactly how to resist them. He <laughs> said, but this, nobody could figure out how to resist it. <laughs> because it was just so compelling. Um, you know, and here's the other thing that I like about this, Roger, is is most people try and beat you over the head with education and how the, the music's played or, you know, they're trying to will you into liking a style or genre of music. You're not doing that at all. Not at all. Right. You're just taking a music and using music and what you're doing with the people and how you're conducting and teaching with it and them possibly embracing the music is the, in my opinion, the byproduct of teaching them leadership skills. But I never tell them that it's, of course, of course, of course not. But on the other hand, there's one other sort of ironic thing about it. When I raise through a role play, like I discover, I I'm told in advance, you know, what are the, what are the, the problem what are the problems here what are the what are the what are the behaviors that are not helping you to achieve your success what's getting in the way what's standing in the way of your achieving this and so they'll tell me about some of the things going on and i i ask them to elaborate so i know what the dysfunctions are that are alive in in that organization the behaviors and the mindset so then i ask the musicians to model that or i model it myself and so what they're seeing, let's say I model some dysfunctional leadership behavior myself. And as I'm conducting, and I know that this, this conducting is really going to get my orchestra mad at me, <laughs> irritated because they're not going to be able to do their jobs because of the way I'm leading them. Right. So I'm looking around for, for the musician who's most pissed off. And so I stop, and then I hand the microphone to that musician. And I say, what was your experience just then of working with this leader? And the musician talks about it. You know, they describe the frustration, whatever. And what's happening is those executives are hearing what's being said about them behind closed doors that they never hear. They're hearing what their people are saying about them, but they will never tell them, which is a very challenging thing. But on the other hand, it's not about them. It's only about me and the orchestra. Right, right. And so they're completely safe. And it gives them the opportunity to contemplate their own behavior 
in safety and privacy. And that's part of the reason that it's so compelling. And well, because you know, you've been places where they've made up role plays and they've done acts and and it never gets real, right? It never it never evolves into something. I mean, you can tell it's staged. You're right. not creating anything staged. You're creating real environments and showing raw, real reactions. That's right. And I say, nobody can argue and say, because <laughs> it happened right. and you were there. Oh, and that's then, awesome. Which, uh, you know, when I, I give a little time for them uh, to introduce themselves to the musicians, they ask the musicians, was that staged? You know, and <laughs> they say, no, we didn't know. So it's, it's just, it's hard it's hard not to get caught up in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is it's really fun, and it's funny, too. Well, I mean, it's got to be fun for you from, a, from a, a conductor always having to be – I mean, musicians are perfectionists. They're always trying to perfect the piece, if you will. So, right? So, so it's got to be fun for you to go up there and mess around. I mean, I know that's the wrong way of probably putting it, but, you know, to stand in front of the room and do the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing for a conductor, I mean, I just know me, and I would get a kick out of having fun like that. Is well, I mess around with great care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do something that's just obvious. Because right. Because they, they would feel stupid. I do something that's more subtle, and a lot of times I touch on things that the musicians that really gets to them as well. Like I'll say, for example, what if you're playing this for an audition and in the room there are a couple of agents who are here to, to judge you on the basis of your performance here? Well, that touches musicians because that's a situation we all understand that our we try to make our careers by those few opportunities we we get to to play and be judged. And everybody has a lot of a lot of emotion about that. Right. A lot of fear at every level. It doesn't matter who you are. And so when I invoke that, it gets to the musicians. And so I might do be doing that role play to get the musicians out of the normal mindset of collaborating and thinking of the whole into just thinking about themselves. <laughs> and then when they do that, the orchestra sounds different. Right. And the music feels different because it's no longer about creating meaning. It's basically about survival. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Are you planning on taking this to a larger audience? So, I mean, I know you're doing this for executives and the leadership, but taking this to a, a, the masses, if you will. Well, that's such a, a wise question because what strikes me is how universally applicable it is. Mm -hmm. For example, you could, I could do sessions on mindfulness. I could do sessions on, on family relations and things mm -hmm. like that. It's just, you know, one chooses different exercises, but you represent all kinds of human behavior through the orchestra, and that liberates people to see themselves in different ways. So yeah, I'm very interested in that, but I have no idea how to market it to those people. <laughs> well, because, I think I think we might be helping you out a little bit here. So so well, I don't actually do any proactive marketing because the idea of it, it sounds so crazy, first of all. And it's also it feels to a business organization that's doing it, it feels a little risky. You're handing over like two hours in your most important meeting to somebody that you don't know and you don't even know what he's going to do. <laughs> right. That feels scary. Uh, at the end, they feel enormously rewarded because I always tell them, raise your expectations because this is going to be much better than you think it is. <laughs> even the ones who think it's going to be good, they can't imagine the impact of the music. Uh, so all those audiences for that I could be reaching I just don't know how to I don't know how to go yeah. reach them um I think it's it, there that there's going to be some seminars and some things coming your way you know based off of interviews like this and others but you know one thing that just popped in my head is anytime you're in a room full of you know, 50, 150 people, there's a, a very, very kind of hard stat that's happened. 
20% of the people are really excited to be there. 20% of the people are pissed off that they're sitting in this room. And then 60 could give a damn either way. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that's just, that's, that's pretty hard, fast, you know, I think that's, I think that's reality. Right. Yeah. So, so it's a unique thing to bring in something powerful and different. How much do you think the audience sways and gets into flow with you through going? Cause we don't worry about the 20%. They hope you hope they come along, but sometimes people are just pissed off. They're going to be pissed off. Right. Uh, I, I get a hundred percent involved. And I invite the people who are skeptical. At the very beginning, I say something about that. What, what I say is that my experience tells me that when you have a really intelligent audience in front of you, you just have to accept the fact that their intelligence is manifest in part by their skepticism. And so I kind of, I invite it into the room. And, and I think the skeptics when they see the orchestra play without conductor, they're not expecting that. And then they see what the musicians do and they watch them and they see how they're doing all that stuff. Their skepticism begins to melt at that point because it's something that they never really thought about how well people can organize themselves without a boss telling them what to do. And uh, it's really something to behold. Yeah. And to watch the musicians as they do it. And then I, I show how certain things that I asked the orchestra to do engage so much creativity and imagination and, and, and joy in working. And then I lead them in such a way that kills the imagination <laughs> and it kills the joy. And it's just, it's hard not to believe it because it's happening right there. Yeah, that's awesome. So are you taking the musicians into these corporate offices or are you taking people to the the symphony halls or or you know where are you conducting these trainings at? I do it wherever wherever the meeting takes place. Often it takes place in a hotel ballroom. Yeah. You know, that's where we do it. Sometimes, not too often, it happens in the in a uh, in the symphony hall. That's great because the acoustic is good. Um Sometimes I did one in, in a Google cafeteria <laughs> in Dublin. Um, didn't, you know, I always want the sound to be good and no, no extraneous noise. So it's got to be a certain kind of environment. And, you know, in business organizations, they don't value silence often very much. But in my, in my room, it's got to be silent, you know, because it's got to be able to have the impact. Uh, and to invite concentration and, you know, an openness, you know, so it's very different from the normal atmosphere. I don't, I don't let anybody be on their cell phones or take photos or anything like that. You know, they've got to be there and I'm, I'm minding the room and I'm watching. And if there's somebody who's just not paying attention and just talking to their neighbor, I'm going to get them involved because I'm a conductor and I know how to be confrontational and I know how to do it in such a way that it, it doesn't feel a confrontation. Well, I mean, you've been dealing with, yeah, I mean, you, you've been dealing with world-class musicians your entire life. It's these people have clawed scrap fight, you know, practice their heart out to win those chairs to be a part of that symphony. These aren't your run-of-the-mill musicians. These are well-trained. I mean, it's like watching a professional sports team. I mean, they best of the best. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've had you know thirty odd years, whatever, leading the best of the best in all these different rooms. Handling a couple of executives is no big whoop. Because they're, I mean, they're going to be the best of the best in them. You're still dealing with egos. You're still dealing with machismo and all that other stuff. You mm -hmm. know, so I, I, I would assume it's a pretty natural move for you to control that room. Well, my, my skill as a conductor, that's part of what conductors do. They, can, they control the room, you know, and that comes in very handy. And I think executives are not used to somebody who who really knows how to get everybody engaged. And of course, all the communication skills of eye contact and, 
and modulating one's voice and and you know i would throw in there getting somebody engaged without stepping on them right without belittling right you know getting them involved without making them look the fool which is a skill i make sure that everybody in that room is safe yeah and nobody ever gets embarrassed and nobody ever looks bad i make sure that's part of that's part of what makes it work so at the same time you're raising some really hot issues with people but at the same time you're keeping everybody safe right you're not letting anybody look bad yeah, yeah this is there was, there was one incident that i have to tell you i was sort of proud please. of please it was uh, it was a big company and you know i i will call people from i'll go out in the audience and bring somebody back with me to the podium to stand on the podium and hear the orchestra from from that vantage point because there are a lot of lessons that can be learned about perspective and how everybody sees a different picture and leaders what leaders see is not what people what the workers see right anyway i picked this guy and the moment i picked him i realized he was the wrong guy he was a comedian and he of course he was embarrassed to be brought up in front of all those people and his defense was that he was going to joke around. Right. And so he got on the podium and he put his arm around me. <laughs> and I'm the conductor of the orchestra, you know. I'm not going to let that happen. So I said to him, you don't, you don't need to do that. So he took his arm away. And then I kind of got him focused. And I showed him these very interesting things. And he, he actually made a contribution in the comments and what he saw. So then I was ready to send him back. And before I sent him back, I said, now you can give me a hug. <laughs> Good on you. Everybody laughed. And he did. He gave me a hug. <laughs> Good on you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Where do you think all this is going to take you, Roger? I mean, you've, you've, you've had a fun life. And, 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 and you've created this really, really cool in my mind, new, beautiful thing of teaching leadership from just a completely different perspective. You know, where's this all going to take you? Because, I mean, this is a really cool thing. I really don't know that. I mean, I have, I have many ambitions. I have many dreams. There are things I want to do. I mean, I just like more people to experience this. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I said when I early on this thing, very rarely am I surprised by something a guest can bring up. So, so good on you for for bringing something new to the table. Um, uh, I hope the fans and champions listening to this episode kind of geek out on this as much as I am because this is this is really really cool. And I actually, I'm looking forward to the to showing this to my nieces and letting them listen to it. Uh, well, when I come to Texas. I want to invite you. So you have, we have to make sure that I have your, your, yeah, email. absolutely. Absolutely. So I, can, I can invite you to sit in on it so you can yeah. see what it actually is because the actuality is much better than the description. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I guarantee that. I guarantee that. Well, brother, this is how I wrap up every session. And I do stump some people with this question. So get ready. I'm ready. Uh, if you were going to leave the champions that listen to this audience, listen to this podcast, people in 78 countries around the world that tune in every day to listen to this show, if you were going to leave them with a quote, a phrase, a statement, a saying, a mantra, something they can take with them on their journey, especially if they're stacked up against it and going through it, what would be that quote or phrase you would say? Remember this. Or oh, you ask a really tough question. I do. I tell you, I snub people on uh, this one. There are uh, there are many things. So let me think. I want to give them some wisdom. That when you stand on the podium of an orchestra, and you you look around and you see all these people there, you have to remember that what every musician is hearing is different from the other. And they're all hearing something different than what you're hearing. And the mature conductor understands that there are many truths in that room and they're all valid. And a lot of times you'll have some kind of communication problem or a relationship problem with somebody. And you think that like getting it right is the most important thing, but the best remedy is to just engage with other people's truths and embrace them 
they don't, it's not a question of right or wrong. It has to be understanding their truth because sometimes just the fact that you can understand other people's truths unlocks something that enables people to move forward. So, you know, I walk around the world and I'm looking around and I'm trying to imagine the truth the way various people see it because they all see it differently. And that's really important to remember when there are disagreements. Oh, I love it, brother. And Roger, this has been an honor. I, I've really, really enjoyed it. I, I love your wisdom. I love your experience. I love what you're doing. And keep it up. Uh, I look forward when you come in through Texas or if I come up to New York, you're getting a phone call from me. Um, and I, I can't wait to experience this someday. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. And the ground is no place for a champion. Tell me that wasn't a cool episode. Man, I enjoyed that. Roger is such a cool guy. Um, and I, I just love what he's doing um, in, the, in the leadership realm. And his passion for music is just a truly, truly beautiful thing. You know, guys, we love hanging out with passionate people um, and, and, and everybody coming together. So do me a favor. If you've got anything, just one nugget of value or lots of nuggets of value, do me a favor and share this out to at least one friend. You know, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to to your your favorite shows. Leave me a review. That would that would mean everything to me. And we can bring some more of these exciting stories to to more listeners around the world. And then if you want to just come hang out with a bunch of badasses, you know, people that are just going for it, come hang out in our Facebook group. It's Success Champions. Just go to Facebook, type Success Champions in the search box, click on groups, and we'll be the top one that pops up. Um, every day, amazing content, amazing collaboration, brilliant networking. So if you're an entrepreneur, it is a place to be. And man, I'm telling you, uh, it's just a bunch of badasses rising together. And then every Friday in there, we do what's called the Champions Happy Hour. I go live. I do some training and teaching on sales, marketing, business development, uh, being an entrepreneur, a lot on mindset. We usually kick back, have a good time, and laugh and joke. And, you know, every once in a while, my family even pops in to, to give me a hard time. So it's a lot of fun. So come hang out with us, Success Champions, in the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, the emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals, go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success, because that's what it means to be a success champion.